Hi, my name is Craig Hendridge, and I've been going to Rolling Hills for about 10 years now, and I get the privilege to serve alongside my wife, Jen, in the middle school ministry. I'm Jen, and I'm the middle school pastor at Rolling Hills. So Craig and I met um, the summer of 2013. We were both interning at the church. I was a year-long um, intern, and then he was coming in for the summer from school. First couple weeks home, I went on a mission trip to D.C., and I remember talking to uh, some of the other interns who had got to work with Jen, and they were telling me all about how fun Jen was and how you need to meet her. And I just remember thinking that I definitely needed to meet this girl as soon as I got home. And so the first Sunday back from, uh, from that missions trip, I went right up to her and I introduced myself, and uh, we've been best friends ever since. So we decided today about a year after meeting. Really quickly on, we realized whether or not we were gonna be able to make communication a priority, um, whether or not that trust was gonna be there. We've had a lot of mentors here at Rolling Hills over the years, and um, they've really been able to instill in us um, you know, this idea of setting boundaries and how um, in their own relationships and in their own marriages, how setting boundaries have, have just been so crucial in, in such a, a happy and, and long-lasting marriage. And, and being on the other side of that now too, it's, it's definitely, we can see it as well, um, where having those boundaries um, you know, makes our, our, our connection to each other more intimate and more special than if we hadn't have waited before marriage. You know, I think culture is all about this um, instant gratification and not and just doing everything that you want right now, you know, making, making yourself happy right now. God laid it out for us so clearly, and in doing so and being faithful to Him, we see that He has blessed our marriage so well. That's what really um, created so much joy in our marriage, and, and again, that connection and, and just that, that special connection that you can't have anywhere else. It's a great story where we're going today. My name is uh, Chase and um, one of the pastors at Rolling Hills, and I'm typically the traveling pastor, so I'll bounce around from campus to campus, and I get to see lots of different groups of people, and, and it's always a joy for me to be here. Um, I absolutely love uh, you guys. I love being here, and, uh, and Pastor Jason is actually headed to the Amazon right now, the Amazon River, the Amazon jungle with his, his wife, Jacqueline, and all week they're gonna be doing a Jungle Pastors Conference in the Amazon jungle. Can't get there by road. You have to get there by boat. And, uh, and so all week they're going to be uh, ministering to pastors and their wives. And some of these pastors, it's going to take them six days to get there by canoe. And so uh, this is really an incredible week for them, for them to be poured into. They typically don't get this experience in their villages. They don't have anything like this. So it's a blessing that our church has enough resources. And thank you for that because it's through your giving that allows us to do this go down to the ends of the earth and, and, and be with jungle pastors as they pastor and do ministry in places that we can't even imagine. And so be praying for them this week as they go. And, and today we continue our series called I Am David. And, and, and what I love about this series is we are a lot more like David than we may think. And today we're kind of taking a turn, okay? So Pastor, J Pastor Jason left the country and he left me with David and Bathsheba. So hang on. Hang on um, as we tackle a really tough um, subject, but I think it's one that's really, really important. Uh, over the course of this series, we've seen a guy in David that has defied all odds. He, he he's comes from a shepherd boy, the lowliest position that you could possibly have. Nobody wants to be a shepherd, by the way. And, and then he, he ends up being king of Israel, and he defied all odds. He had favor with God, 
But then, then something happened. We begin to see cracks in his life that led to a story that we're going to talk about today. And today we're going to be talking about a valuable subject. It has, it has this subject um, has, has value in it, and it has the ability to control every aspect of our faith journey. It has the ability to control our, our, every aspect of our lives. And so here's what, how I want to start today. Have you ever heard this statement, you just need to follow your heart? Has anybody ever been given that statement? Like, like we may have given that to somebody. Man, I've probably been guilty of that myself. You just need to follow your, your heart. And culture tells us that the ultimate determining factor for us making decisions is you just need to do what your heart is telling you to do, right? In seeking wisdom and help and guidance, we go to loved ones, people that we trust. We'll go to professional counselors. And sometimes at the end of those conversations, it may end like this. At the end of the day, you just need to do what your heart is telling you to do. Now, that piece of advice may be well-meaning and people may believe it, but, but I'm just wondering, can we pause just a second? If we're really going to make life-altering decisions like career path and, and, and school choices or who, what relationship that we're going to jump into, shouldn't we pause for a second and really identify what this, what this really means for us? What does it really mean to follow your heart? What is the heart? Besides the, the organ in your body that pumps blood throughout your whole body. Like, what is it? What does the Bible say? Whenever we talk about the heart and throughout Scripture, what does it really say? Well, Hebrew and Greek cultures will tell you that it's the location of your feelings, your desires, and your emotions. So if you break down that statement, follow your heart, follow implies that we're being led by something or someone. Follow implies that, that our, hearts, our hearts are going to, to be the ones that lead us. Right? Or that your heart implies that what's going to lead me is my heart. My feelings, my desires, and emotions are going to lead me. And my thing is how horrifically dangerous this can be. Think about that for a second. Your feelings, your desires, and your emotions leading you. Now, those things change all the time, right? If we get a phone call in the middle of the day, that phone call can change those things. A text message between your teenager can change those things, right? The, the, the criticism that you get at work can change those things. I was thinking through this. Uh, maybe you start your day. You're, it's going great. Like you have, your day is awesome. You woke up and you, you, you're, you're kind of sitting on your couch. You're journaling. And then you open up your, your planner. And I have a planner. Open up your planner and, and you look at your day and you're like, oh, man, this looks great. Nine o'clock meeting. I could leave the house by 8.30 and I could get to my 9 o'clock meeting. It's going to be an awesome meeting. So you get in your car and roll down your windows and you're singing, I've got sunshine on a cloud. You're singing that all the way to the interstate. You get on the interstate, I-65, and you get on the, uh, off the on-ramp only to be met by this. I think it's a picture. It's traffic right here. Is it up? <laughs> there you go. And, and that's, that's Nashville, right? That, that's, like, that's like the traffic that we're encountering right now. And so what does that do? It changes those desires, those feelings and emotions immediately. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, changes it, right? Or, or uh, let's, let's go another route. Let's say I, I've been on a healthy eating kick um, about a billion times in my life, which never really has worked. Uh, but... 
but if you like Whole30 or Atkins or maybe Keto, I don't know what you're, what you're into, but, but man, whenever I start out to eat healthy, I start out really well. I have this deep desire in my life to, to eat healthy. And so I start out pretty good. Breakfast is fine, a little bit. And then you get to eat your piece of lettuce at lunch, which is great. And then you get to one o'clock and you're hangry. And then you're frustrated. And right, but your, your deep desire in you, you're feeling, man, I, I'm going to do it. I can push through. And you get home, and, and, and so you walk in the door. And on the counter is this. <laughs> I can wait away till tomorrow. I, I can diet tomorrow. Like immediately it changes, and you're like, man, I'm going to eat that cake. I, I've got this deep desire. Our, it changes all the time. And the reason why I say it's horrifically dangerous to be guided by our heart, because, because we're all over the map. We can be completely lost, and the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. Over 300 times, the Bible identifies the heart in its natural state, and it's deceitful, sick, and no one can understand it. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus points out the condition of a fallen, fallen uh, of, our, of our hearts, and he says this. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. They defile a person. I feel like I need to say all of that to set up today. Because we're going to talk about the heart of the matter. Um, because we're going to get to a not-so-good guy, a guy who's considered to be a man after God, God's own heart. And it's really difficult for us to read and jump, to, jump into, but his story is actually really close to many of the headlines that we see today on the news. And the reality is that we see David's life unfold because, because he's following his own heart, his desires his feelings, and emotions. So as we jump into the debt text today, will you pray with me as we do? Father, before we jump into this text, which, which is kind of hard to, to get our heads wrapped around, God, I pray that, that as we jump in, we are forever changed by your words. Your words do not return void. I pray that even for myself, that as we read through your text, as we study through your word, that, that whenever we leave this place, whenever we walk through those doors going out in the parking lot, that we forever be changed because of what you're doing on our hearts. God, I pray for, for every person. I pray for all of our campuses, that those who are listening to uh, this message, that it would be completely of you. God, that we are desperate to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you would walk through this passage of Scripture with me. And it, it starts this way. In the spring, at the time when kings go off the war, David sent Joab out with the king's men uh, and the whole Israelite army. Joab was a commander in his army, uh, David's army, the Israelites. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. But David remained in Jerusalem. The scene is set. They just got done with winter in and, and, and War, war battles didn't happen during, during winter. It was really difficult. So I don't know if this was all agree, all the nations agree, but, but they, they typically go 
to war in the winter. And who goes with him? The king always goes with him. But for some reason, David hung back. David thought, man, I deserved it. I don't have to go at this moment. Like, I've, I've fought a lot of battles. If anybody deserves to be hang, hanging back, it's, it's me. And probably all of us would agree with him. It's like, this guy's a king of Israel. He's, he, he's really been successful. But because he hung back, listen to what, what's beginning to happen. I believe there are cracks that are beginning to surface in David's life, right? And verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone out to find out about her. The man said she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back, back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. That's really hard. It's really hard to even read because we know this is God considered a man after God's own heart. And then we see this kind of situation happen. And David found himself in a situation where he allowed his power and success to give him permission to take what he wanted. He allowed his power and success to give him permission to take what he wanted. And immediately you and I can think about maybe prominent leaders within our culture, maybe church leaders or the CEOs of companies, or maybe political leaders that have had these major moral failures, moral failures, and, and the, here's the thing. I don't want us to think it's only them because this type of thing can happen to you and I. Because the reality is temptation is a never-ending battle. Peter, he knew this to be true, and he said this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. David, a man who's considered to be passionate about God in his pursuit of God, let down his guard and he allowed cracks in. He allowed these cracks in his, in his life. You see, this didn't happen overnight, guys. This happened over time, which led to this moment. We can see cracks in his life, in his heart, surfacing along the way. If you go back a couple of chapters, we see this, these, these words. David received more and more power. I think with that comes pride. Pride was a crack in his life. And how do I know that? Because whenever David conquered a city or conquered a fortress, he named that fortress the city of David instead of the city of God. I think that's a crack. I really do. I believe that's a crack. David didn't set up accountability partners around him to hold him in check with all of his power and all of his success. That's a crack. David began to take on wives and concubines. That's a major crack. These cracks couldn't hold up, but it led to the story that we're here, here today. And let me just ask you this. What are the cracks in, in our lives? What are the cracks in your life? that has potential to lead to something. And the, the, the crazy thing is, you may, we, we, we all may even think what were those cracks in our life are so innocent. But on the, in the long term, they end up being major destruction for our family. Listen, I can't talk about this subject today without diving into a subject that I think has had a profound effect on our culture, and that's the idea of sexuality. 
We have a generation of, of people that have been over-sexualized by the nature of the content that has been fed to our generations. And that's why I believe in today's culture, one of the leading causes of divorce is infidelity. And probably the most common site of infidelity is the sense of an emotional disconnection from a partner. You see, that's a crack. Whenever you begin to be disconnected from your partner, that is a crack that can lead to something really big. Oftentimes, the person committing the infidelity would describe it themselves as felt unappreciated, lonely, and sad. This doesn't happen overnight. They're cracks. And, and this happens over time, just like David had experienced. Let's talk about another big subject matter within our culture. Let's talk about pornography. And this is really hard because I think this, this single thing has had, had affected more people than we would like to admit. Let me give you some stats based on uh, with Barner Research. It says over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. There are 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million porn pages. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It's also more than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined. 56% of American divorces involve one party having obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 68% get this. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24, 76% actively search pornography. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. This is an issue. This is a big issue in our culture. and This is an issue that the church has to be proactive in praying against. Pray that predators would be exposed. Pray that the porn industry would be destroyed and disrupted. Pray that for purity over a generation. Pray for guidance. Pray for de deliverance. And, and I'm just here to say today and pause in the middle of this message and say, look, if you're struggling, look, that's why we have professional counselors on our staff. That's why we have pastors. That's why we partner with, with centers like the Refuge Center for Counseling. It's because we know that this destroys lives. It destroys relationships. But I, I don't want to lean too far in this because here's the deal. This is not a sexual problem. This is a sin problem. This is a sin problem. And as we look at the story of David... We see some connection points that are very evident to us if you break it down. Let's look at a couple of verses. From the roof, David saw a woman bathing. I get that. He saw. And then the woman was very beautiful. That word beautiful in Hebrew means good. So it means he saw what was good, and then it said he sent a messenger to take her. So he saw what was good, and he took it. What does that remind you of something? Genesis chapter 3. Eve saw the fruit which was good, and she took it and ate. You see, this sin is it's passed down from generation to generation. It's an original sin that started way back in Adam and Eve and was passed on and on and on. Satan discovered our vice. And this is what it is. That, that, that thing or things that draws our attention away from a relationship with God to pursue things that cause division and disruption, which leads to sin. That thing within us that says we see it and we want it and we're going to take it. 
That's it. And you know, sometimes I think we like to avoid this subject in church. Sweep sin under the rug and don't deal with it. And the reality is sin cannot be dismissed. Sin is the lack of, lack of conformity to the moral character of God and his law. We sin by thinking evil, by speaking evil, by acting evil, or omitting what is good. When we do something that goes against faith and trust in God, that's sin. When we, we know something pleases God and we don't do it, that's sin. Sin has to be dealt with, friends. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin, sin leads to sin if untouched. David, uh, David knew this all too well. How did David? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if David was like, how did, I, how did I get to this point? He started out as a shepherd boy, not thinking, man, not thinking that he would be in this situation where he was today. How did he get to the point? Why didn't David just confess? What did David end up doing? Well, he ended up digging himself a hole. Let's go to verse 6. So David sent word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Uh, are you, is this small talk? Like you, you had me come back from battle in order to ask me those questions. What is, what's going on here? I'm really confused at the conversation that I'm having right now. And then the next thing was really probably confusing to him. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. What? So, so Uriah left the palace and a gift was sent from the king. So this, here's, here's the, the goal for David. If David can get Uriah back home and go send him to his house to sleep with his wife, then he's off the hook. Right? It, it, there would be no questions because, because Uriah would sleep with the wife. She would become pregnant and they would be like, oh, that makes sense. But here's the problem. Uriah was a man of integrity, honor, and loyalty. Uriah knew that he couldn't have anything pleasurable if his men were out, out to battle. So what does he do? He sleeps outside the palace. And David's like, oh, man, that didn't work. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to have Uriah come into the house, come into the palace, and we're going to drink all night. I'm going to get him drunk, and then I'm going to send him back to his home. Now, that's a great idea. So that's what he did. He got Uriah drunk. He sent him out of the palace, and here's the problem. Uriah is a man of integrity, a man of honor, and loyal. So Uriah sleeps outside the palace again, and David's like, oh, didn't work. So here's what I'm going to do. Obviously, he's not going not gonna to cooperate, so I'm going to send him back to battle. That's exactly what he did. Send him back to battle, and the next day, he put, your, he put Uriah on the front lines. He said that they're in the heat of battle. And then David called off uh, the other, uh, his, his troops, called him off, and left Uriah. That was his death sentence. David sent him, sentenced him to death on the, on the battlefield, even though David didn't do it himself. He sentenced him to death, and this is what verse 26 says. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After a time of mourning was over, get this, David had her brought to the house, and she became his wife and bore a son. David, but, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. This is a punk. Like, I, 
I can't bear to even read the story. Like, this, can, can you get any lower than, than this guy, David? And let me just tell you that, that this is where soap operas come from. Like, the stories like this. This is where the content that we see every day, it doesn't come from just random. It actually probably comes from the Bible. That we read stories like this and we see that David sleeps with another man's wife. And, and by the way, it's, it wasn't consensual. By the way, he took her and he had sex with her. By our definition, that's rape. And so he took her and had sex with her. And then he had the woman's husband killed. Not only that, he was an honorable man who was kind of the best guy in his army. And I'm just thinking, David found himself in a mess, didn't he? You know, we, well, how do you, why, why did he get to this point? Why, why hide? Why not confess? Because this is what sin does. Sin in our life, the enemy, the enemy uses sin in our life to do, to do what he wants us to do. Which means this, sin that is not confessed leads to concealing, which leads to destruction. In other words, sin leads to sin, if not dealt with. Sin leads to sin, if not dealt with. Jesus had a lot to say about it, but he said this about the enemy. In John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. By whatever means necessary, by the way. The, the enemy would, would prefer us not deal with our sin. Because that sin is going to lead to other sin, which causes uh, destruction within our family, within our, within our lives. That's exactly what he wants us to do. So how do we fight the battle? How do we fight the battle against temptation and sin? Here's the first thing we got to do. Know that our greatest battle is against our own heart. It's against our own heart. Our greatest battle in life doesn't come in form of a person. No matter how much we disagree with them, our greatest battle... Uh, it doesn't come in the form of a political party, whichever side you fall on. Our greatest battle doesn't even come in the form of a circumstance, no matter how difficult it is. Our greatest battle in life comes from within, and we see that from the very beginning. I, I love the Apostle Paul. I love his story. I love his journey. I, I love his encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. completely changed his life. He became a missionary, sharing the gospel all over. But Paul had his struggles. Paul knew that this, this idea of temptation and sin um, corrupts your life. Paul was wrestling back and forth with this idea. And if you go to the, his letter to the Roman church, it's like a Dr. Seuss book. Let's read it together. Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I, wanna, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer, uh, I, it, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, it's my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do, I want to do. This, this I keep doing now. If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. That's Dr. Seuss, right? It's really hard to read, by the way. He has this, this tug in this pool because he knows that's how sin works. He knows how, that's how the enemy works. That's, that's what our heart is prone to. Our hearts are prone to wander. You get this guy in the, the Bible whose name is Solomon. 
which happens to be David's son who knew this all too well. He was, he was actually known as the wisest man who ever lived. He had this battle against the heart. He started out his journey again like David, pursuing God, but then they had cracks in his life. And he said this statement, Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. How do you battle how do you battle such a big topic? Well, here's the first thing. We have to guard our hearts. We can't follow our hearts. We have to guard our hearts. We can't follow our hearts. That Hebrew, the Hebrew word for guard is keep. It literally means to set watchmen over it. We need a watchman. But, but nowhere in the Bible does the, does the Bible claim to be watchmen over it ourselves. We, he doesn't say keep guard or your, uh, over your own hearts or your own strength. Here's what it says. The Lord means for us to guard our hearts by filtering our emotions, desires, and feelings through his word. See, here's, a, here's what we're commanded to do. To keep ourselves in his word as he keeps our hearts. There's a difference there. There's all kinds of verses that says, your word, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. That's uh, Psalm 1830 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Here's what I want to tell you. What you feed grows. And what you starve dies. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. We have to starve pride. We, we have to starve our desires. And we have to feed the very thing that brings us life, and that's God's word. See, we have to guard our hearts. We can't follow our hearts. And the last thing is, not only must we guard our hearts, we have to follow something. Follow Jesus. Our hearts were never meant to be followed, but they were meant to be led. Our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. So if we choose to follow our hearts or our feelings and ask them to guide our steps, it would ultimately lead us to make decisions that will have a profound impact on our families. It would have a profound impact on our lives. Our hearts only tell us what we want, not what we need. See, our hearts can't, can't save us because what's wrong with our hearts is the heart of, a, heart of the problem. Our hearts are prone to wander. And therefore, don't believe in your heart. Direct your heart to believe in God. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And Jesus said this. Well, actually, he didn't say this. He didn't say, let not your heart be troubled. Just believe in your hearts. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why would we choose to follow a man who loved all people? Follow a man who had compassion on all people? Follow a man who, who evened the playing field with all people and said, man, this I, what I offer is for everybody. It's not just for a, a, a section of people. It's not for the Jewish people. It's not for the Greek people. It's for all people. This idea of grace and mercy why wouldn't we follow a guy who sacrificed his life for people like David? By the way, we are David in this story. Like his sin, may, we may think, man, his sin is so great. Well, ours is too. 
It just comes out in different ways. I'm so grateful for verses like this. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you grateful? Aren't you grateful that, that God doesn't use perfect people to tell his perfect story? He uses broken people and flawed people to tell his story of redemption. People like you and me. You know, this is not it. My prayer is that you would come back next week and, and finish out this story because there is a level of repentance that happens with David's life that changed his, his life, that corrected his path. And maybe there's people that, that you know that just need to hear a message of forgiveness, that need to hear a message of repentance. Please bring them back next week and to hear this message. But here's, here's what I want to give you before we close today. That we have hope in Jesus. There's a book that I'm reading now. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And they have a couple of quotes in here that I think is perfect for where we're at today and where we're going. It says this. A, a, a heart broken. There's a difference. There's a, a broken heart. A heart broken by Jesus asks the Lord to make him godly, not bless his natural desires. And a heart broken by Jesus prays. Lord, make me yours. Not, Lord, give me what I want. So my prayer for us today is that we would deal with it. We deal with that sin that's within us and say, you can have it. I confess it. That's what I believe within our churches. We have a hard time dealing with the very thing that causes the most destruction in our lives, and that's our own hearts. That my prayer for us as a church family that we would deal with our hearts. Say, God, I, I, I give you my heart. I, I deal with the cracks in my life. I think, I think we have, we, we, we have a hard time. We have a hard time dealing with those things because it causes us to, um, to let down the pride. It causes, us, it causes a lot of humility in our lives. But I'm telling you, humility is the best place to be when it comes with the eternal perspective. That God wants to do something in and through our lives, and He needs our hearts in order to do it. Even our broken hearts. So my prayer for us, even as we close out, as we sing this last worship time, that God would do a work on us. That we would identify those cracks in our lives that we've allowed to surface and we would just deal with them. God, I don't want these cracks to, to affect my marriage. I don't want these cracks to affect my relationships with my kids. I don't want these cracks to affect, affect my relationship with coworkers. God, deal with it. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that it's hard stories like these that remind us that our sin is great. And it's stories like these that remind us that, that you use imperfect people to accomplish your purposes. And God, I'm the chief of sinners. As Paul says, God, I pray that we would deal with it. We'd work with those cracks in our lives. That God, you would protect our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our mouths in order to pursue a relationship with you, a relationship that you've designed, 
a relationship that was designed for our hearts to pursue you, not pursue the things of this world. So God, I pray that as a church family, we would just all agree right here, right now to do some work. That before we leave this place and walk out those doors, we would just find those hidden places in our hearts that, that, are, that are pulling away from you and, and deal with them and confess those things so that we can walk out of here, in, 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 not in darkness, but in light. God, thank you for Jesus. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. So for this next song, if you want to stand and sing. If you want to kneel, I want to uh, just allow whatever you feel like you need to do between you and the Lord to respond.